The following audio is from Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. Lord, you are a good, good Father. So, Lord, as we offer our praise to you this morning, we pray that it is a pleasing and fragrant offering, Lord. For we know that you are present and we welcome you here, Lord, this morning, and pray that you would speak to us, that you would move us. And, Lord, it's you we glorify. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How wonderful to worship with you today. It's still a blessing to live in a country where we can worship as we see fit, and we hold that right. As we do that, we are reminded that there are millions of believers in this world who have to worship the Lord in secrecy or in privacy. And so we continue to be in prayer for our missionaries all around the world and the persecuted church. And we want to make the most of what we have here in terms of this freedom. And we continue to do that with the Ukraine mission trip just returning. And they saw 78 people give their lives to Christ there. We're getting ready to send two trips to the Ecuador. And we're excited about all of these things. But while we do that around the world, we want to say thank you to those of you who made yesterday possible. It was our Easter Egg Hunt 2.0 Cinco de Mayo annual event. And uh, we probably had a thousand people there. And our prayer, of course, is that they would come and find a manual. But our greatest prayer is that they would come and find Jesus. And that's what gathers us together here. That's why we worship together. And that's why I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that we might look at God's Word together and see what it is that He has for us. And this is, a, this is a trademark of kingdom people, people who have come out of darkness and come away from their sin. They found forgiveness in the love and the light of Jesus Christ. And we also find instruction from His Word, and His Word guides us in our everyday lives. And as kingdom people, eventually... We come to that place where as we are guided in that, as we seek that, uh, we we start to ask ourselves the question, what is God's will for my life? And I would think that probably for every pastor in the land, if we take all the questions that were asked that are, some of them are theological questions and some of them are church polity or ecclesiastical questions and some are counseling and discipleship questions. But if you take all of those questions, the thing that happens most often in the life of a pastor is in some way, shape, or form we are asked, is this God's will for my life? Now, it isn't, it isn't always that clear. Sometimes, should I, should I take this job? Should I take this promotion? Should we buy this house? Should I date or court this person? Should I do this? Should I move there? But, but ultimately, as believers who walk in the, the light of the, of the truth and who desire to please the master as his servants, we want to know, is this the master's will? Is this what God would have for me? That's not just a question asked by those of us who come 2,000 years after Jesus. It's a question asked by those who lived during that very first century. One of the reasons I wanted to turn our attention to 1 Thessalonians is it's the first book written of the New Testament canon. Now, when you open your New Testament, you find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because it's it's, it's arranged logically. 
and this is the life of Christ, and then you have the the history of the early church, that's the Acts, and then you have the epistles written by the apostles to the churches and to individuals, but the actual first letter written after the Old Testament is 1 Thessalonians. So I want you to imagine these people. They live in Thessalonica, Greece. They don't live in Jerusalem or Judea. They live in Greece. Um, uh, Thessaloniki, as the city, is still there today. Uh, You can find it on a map and look at it. That's where they lived. They have believed that Jesus is the Messiah. They've believed the gospel as it was preached by Paul and the missionary band. And, and they have these questions. And Paul had to leave the city rather abruptly. So he cares about them. He sends Timothy back to them. He writes this letter to answer their questions. And one of their questions regards, is regarding the will of God. And this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's read the first eight verses. And I want you to just pay attention to the, to the parts that are in here as we look at the question, what is the will of God? He says in verse 1, finally then, brothers, we ask, and not just ask, we urge you in the Lord Jesus that just as you receive from us how you should walk to please God, which is really what you're doing, but we want you to do that more and more. Verse 2, for you know what instructions that we gave you, and most of the time in the New Testament, we would see the phrase, through the Holy Spirit. But here, the Apostle Paul says, you know the instructions that we gave you through the Lord Jesus, through He Himself. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of, each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That That makes sure that, verse 6 says, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, as we told you before, and we solemnly warned you. Verse 7 says, For God has not called us to impurity, but he's called us to holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, and he's the one who gives us his Holy Spirit. So, This morning, I would guess that you are faced with some kind of decision, and most of our decisions in life have a, they have a deadline to them. And as you desire to please God, as you desire to know the voice of God, as you desire to glorify God because you are a kingdom person, because you are a person who's given your life to Christ, you're now faced with, well, should I do this or should I do that? And uh, when it comes to the, uh, the fork in the road, which this is sinful and this is righteous, those are really relatively easy for us to understand. Maybe hard to do at times, but relatively easy to understand. This is wrong. This is right. Of course I should do what's right. But when it comes to decisions of should I take this job or should I take this promotion or should I make this change or should I buy this house or should I move to this place or should I, you know, kids right now finishing high school or should I go to college? What should that look like? What should I do next? Then we find ourselves praying to the Lord, seeking His will. And so when we ask what the will of God is, we discover in this one short paragraph that there are four insights to that. 
The first insight that we see, which is one that we see all through Scripture, when we ask the question, what is the will of God, the first insight, the first answer to that question throughout Scripture is see that your daily walk pleases God. It's right here in verse 1. If you were writing an English paper, this would be like your thesis statement. And the Apostle Paul says, be reminded that your daily walk must please God. And he would say later in the paragraph, you don't, you don't live like the Gentiles who seek after their own desires and their own lusts. You're seeking God's heart. You're seeking God's plan for you. You're seeking the purpose of God. So if you want to know the purpose of God, if you want to know the will of God, it should be your daily desire to walk to please Him. Now, this is a phrase that's used all over Scripture. And the idea in ancient times was there's no nobody had a nobody had a new pickup, nobody had a uh, a plane, nobody could fly faster than the speed of sound. We they only rich people had chariots. Most people didn't even have a horse. You have maybe a couple of oxen for pulling the plow, but if you were going to do everyday life and you wanted to get somewhere, you walked. And so the Bible talks about walking, and it talks about walking with God. We read in the Old Testament that Enoch walked with God, Noah walked with God, Abraham walked with God. And the the concept is that they did it like you would walk with a friend, shoulder to shoulder, as you would go along in the process of life. In fact, the most interesting story is the story of the guy named Enoch. The scripture says Enoch walked with God every day, and then one day, and it's just kind of a funny, odd translation, one day he was not. He was gone. It wasn't like an amber alert thing. He was walking with Jesus, and in my mind, he's walking with Jesus. They walk along all day. They've talked about everything. They've enjoyed each other's company. They comes to the end of the day. They realize the sun is setting, and Jesus says, why don't you come on home with me? We're closer to my place than to yours. That's a great way to go to heaven, isn't it? But walking with God is everywhere. Now, we don't have time to do the whole Bible and let me show you all these places, but let me just show you from one book. So hold your place there in 1 Thessalonians 4. We're going to come right back to it. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 4. And just from a couple of chapters here, I'm going to show you five different places where we have this instruction on how to walk. And I'm just using this symbolic of all of Scripture, but this way you don't have to turn to lots of different places. They're all right here in Ephesians 4 and 5. So if you're looking for Ephesians, it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. A good way to remember that is God's energy and power company. So there you go. You got them right there together. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians 4, find verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you, now here's what we're looking for, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. You and I have been called out of darkness, so we should walk in light. You and I have been called to be children of the King, so we should act like royalty. You and I should walk in a manner worthy of the calling. The idea that you receive Jesus because you want the forgiveness of sins and you want to go to heaven when you die, but you walk like you used to, you live like you used to, that's foreign to biblical teaching. That that's you don't find anywhere in scripture that concept. So he says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. 
Uh, skip down to verse 17, still in Ephesians chapter 4. <coughs> in verse 17, he says, Now this I say, and I testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now, uh, uh, we would think, oh no, Paul's mixing metaphors. He's walk is a, walk is a, is a anatomical function. But he's talking about don't walk in the futility of your mind. How do you walk in your mind? Well, how you walk with your body proves what you think with your mind. Did you know that? Whatever, whatever your attitudes are, they eventually become your beliefs, and your beliefs become your actions. Your actions become your habits, and your habits become your character. Where does it start? It starts in your mind. That's why the Scripture says that we should be renewed in our minds, that the, that the Holy Spirit should do this work in our minds. And, and sometimes people say, well, you don't know what I'm thinking, but most of the time we do. We know what you're thinking because your actions reflect what you think. Have you ever, ever had anybody say to you, I'm not mad? They're the last ones to know. Everybody else already knew. Because our actions reflect our mind. So the Apostle Paul says, don't walk like you used to walk. And the way you used to think was futile. The word futile means empty, void, without purpose. You and I have friends today whom we love, and we would love for them to receive Jesus. They're walking purposeless lives. There's no meaning there. There's no purpose there. Uh, skip with me over to chapter 5. Find verse 2. We're still in Ephesians. We're looking at the word walk appears all over the New Testament. Therefore, be imitators of God, verse 1 says, as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So we discover something else about this walk. The walk that we have uh, with Christ Jesus isn't a walk where we're trying to do our duty, our obligation, fulfill our responsibility, check the box. That's religion. We don't walk in religion. Religion is man's attempt to reach God. But God reached us through his son Jesus, and he did it out of an act of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And so how are we to walk? Well, we're to look like God. And so we walk in love. We talk about this from time to time, but if you if you see yourself as a religious person, but you don't love people, the scripture says, how can you love God who you can't see if you don't even love people who you can see? And so we should walk in love. Look down in verse 8. Verse 8 says, One time you were in darkness. This is before we give our lives to Christ. But now you're in the light of the Lord. You're in the light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. When the Scripture talks about light, it talks about it as in uh, apposition to darkness, and, uh, and it talks about it in terms of truth. How do we know where to go? How do we know how to walk? If you walk in the dark, you stub your toe. If you walk in the dark, you, you mess up. Have you, have you, ever, have you ever done that? Has, have you, has your body ever had that debate where like, you come into the house, you're going to walk maybe down into the kitchen, and maybe it's late and people are already asleep, and so your, your brain says, I don't need the light. I've done this a million times. I can do this. But your toes are going, oh, no, 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 we need the light. Turn the light on. We... We walk in the dark and we mess up. Jesus said, if the blind leads the blind, they both fall in the ditch. You need light. So he says, walk in the light. Let's just look at one more in verse 15. 
Ephesians 5.15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. You and I are encouraged to walk in wisdom. Where do we get wisdom? How do we know how do we know how to walk in a wise way? Well, it comes through the instruction of God's word. So let me turn your attention now back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So, step number 1, we want to know the will of God. Well, it comes in this daily walk and and a walk is a it's an intentional process whereby we walk along with God. It's an interesting process because when you're walking with somebody and particularly when you're talking with them and you're having fellowship, you can walk way further and you don't even realize it. Have you ever noticed that? It's why people like a a walking buddy. They like a, a jogging accountability partner because if you're with someone and you're walking, you're talking about things and then all of a sudden you realize... Oh, you walked a mile. If you had just done it by yourself, if you just decided, I'm going to walk a mile today, you'd gone and went, I can't go. Go ahead, save yourself. I can't make it. But the fellowship of walking with Jesus moves us so we don't even realize the progress that we're making. And we're talking about progress in knowing the will of God. So that's where it starts. But back in... 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, then in verse uh, 2, he says, You know what instruction we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So as we look at this walking, as we looked at, we just looked at it in two chapters was all, Ephesians 4 and 5. It's all over the Bible. You can find it everywhere. How to walk, walking with God. So part of that then is how do we know the will of God? Well, we're to be wise. How can we be wise? Well, we receive and apply biblical instruction. So Paul's reminding these, uh, these Greeks at uh, Thessalonica, so if you want to know the will of God, then remember that just like when we were with you and we were teaching you the word, you receive and you apply biblical instruction. Now, uh, I, I've said this for two or three weeks now, but it's not because I, I'm just trying to hit you over the head with this because we've been looking at the Scripture. And Paul says it, and then he says it again, then he reiterates it, then he repeats it. And so here we have biblical instruction. We know how to walk to please God because God has given this for us. So what a terrible thing it is for us to say, God, I need to know your will, but we don't read his instruction. Well, and especially for our day and age, I mean, we have our Bible, we have our Bible on our phone, we have our Bible on our iPad, we have our Bible on our laptop, we have our Bible on our computer. I mean, some of you probably have like Bible on your watch, right? I mean, like, I hope that, you know, because you, you wear it like it's a Fitbit, but I'm looking at you, you're not working out. So I hope you have a Bible on that thing. So we, we have Bible everywhere, but we are to not just have it, we are to receive and apply that instruction in our lives. And God's Word never returns void. It always accomplishes God's purpose in us. What, what do we want to know? We want to know God's will. We want to know His purpose for us. And so God's instruction, His Bible does that. Let me, let me tell you four quick stories about four different guys who turned to God's word and the instruction 
changed their lives. The first one is a guy named Lewis Wallace. Lou Wallace was a, um, he was an officer uh, for the North in the Civil War. After the Civil War was over, he decided to go west and make his fortune. He did make a fortune. Um, he, he later became governor of the territory of New Mexico. Um, he he didn't really give God any thought. By his own testimony, you can read his own writings. It's not that he was an atheist. It's just that he didn't think about God. He didn't think about God. He didn't think about the Bible. He didn't think about the claims of Christ. It just never really occurred to him to be important. And he said one night he was riding on a train. 1876 is the date. He's riding on a train, and a stranger began to bring up the conversation about God and the claims of Christ and heaven. And Lou Wallace, who, who prided himself as being a man of education and a man of intellect and knowing things, didn't know anything about God and Jesus and the Bible and heaven. And he was a little embarrassed and he was ashamed by it, but he also decided, I'm, I'm going to study this. I'm, I'm going to study this out. I'm going to see if we can know some things about God. I'm going to study God's Word. I'm going to see what the claims of Christ are. I'm going to see if I really believe there's a heaven. And he thoroughly studied it, and he studied it and became a believer. Because of the instruction of the Word of God, he becomes a believer, and he's got all this research that he did, and so he decides to take all his research and write a book. And you know the book by the title, Ben-Hur. That's the book that he writes. But he becomes an incredible believer. Why? Because he takes God's instruction, he studies it, he receives it, and applies it. There's another guy that I want to call your attention to. His name is Ogmandino. Ogmandino uh, flew 30 missions over Germany in World War II in a bomber. And when he got back from World War II, he realized there was a whole bunch of guys back from World War II looking for jobs. And the job market was kind of hard to compete in. So he started selling insurance. Back in the day after World War II, literally door-to-door, different town, every, every week or two, three days. And so he was traveling. He was never home. So he just found himself in a bar every night. And pretty soon he began to realize, even though he was making really good money, that he didn't have any purpose for living. And he, he contemplated suicide. But then he thought, you know, before I just take my life, I should probably study out and see what I think will happen when I take my life. And so since he was in a different town every night, he started going to a different library every night, and he started to study God's Word. And as he studied God's Word, he became a believer. He writes one of the very first apologetic books of the modern era. It's called The Christ Commission. It's about a guy who's a skeptic who goes back in time, and he's able to study out the claims of Christ. And Ogmedino becomes... A Christian. He goes on to write a whole bunch of books and become a, a well-known speaker all across America in the 1950s. Let me give you a, a third name. His name's Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell was a guy who went to church when he was a kid, but it just looked like religion to him. And then after that, he tried partying, but that didn't have any purpose either. Then he decided, you know, just trying to, trying to be popular. That didn't work. So he was just going to go with education because education would make him the most money. But when he was in school, he couldn't find anybody that he thought cared about anything other than drinking and partying and making money like him. But there were these few kids at his college who really seemed to enjoy life. 
And they seemed to have purpose in what they did. And one day he asked this girl, he goes, why do you seem to have so much purpose? And she said, Jesus Christ. And he said, oh, I've tried religion. And she said, I didn't say religion. I said, Jesus Christ. And so he wanted to prove her wrong. And he went about studying the claims of Christ to prove to her that there wasn't anything in it. And at the end of his study, he became a Christian And he published a book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Let me give you one last one. His name is Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel also says, he said, I really wasn't an atheist. He said, I was really a hedonist. It's just that if you're a hedonist, it's hard to be a Christian too. So it was better to be an atheist than be a hedonist. One day, his wife gave her life to Christ. In order to prove his wife wrong in what she believed, He did a thorough study of the claims of Christ. And many of you know that he became a Christian and is one of the leading apologists of our days, written six or eight books, The Case for Christ, Case for Faith, Case for Creation. You know the name. So so who are Lou Wallace and Og Mandino and Josh McDowell and Lee Strobel? They're just four of not dozens, not hundreds, not thousands. They're four of millions of people who have simply taken God's word to study it to see if the claims of Christ are true and how they could live their lives in accordance with these instructions. Do you want to know the will of God? Do you want to know the mind of Christ? you want to know the instruction of Christ? Then turn to God's word. Well, here in the middle of this paragraph, There's a third answer to the question, what is the will of God? First of all, the will of God is that you and I would walk each day in order to please God. Secondly, the will of God is that we would receive and apply the instruction of God. But when we get to verse 3, there's nothing in the Bible that's plainer than this. Look at what verse 3 says. For this is the will of God. Now, if you're here this morning and you've got decisions coming up and you want to know the will of God... Here it is. So many times people ask me a question and I say, well, you can't just find it in one verse of the Bible. You kind of have to put these verses together. But on this occasion, I can say, here it is. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. Here is the will of God, your sanctification. So what's God's will for your life? His answer is your sanctification. Now, sanctification is not a word that we use every day in normal everyday vocabulary. It kind of has a theological sound about it. So let's talk about what it actually means. I want to give you three definitions for the word. All three of these definitions are used in your New Testament. The first definition of the word sanctification is to wash or cleanse. And, And this is the concept of taking a bath. This is the concept of taking a shower. You've been out, you've been working, you get dusty, you get dirty. What do you need to do? You need to sanctify yourself. You need to wash and cleanse yourself. Uh, I told you a couple weeks ago, in ancient times, everybody wore sandals. And so when you came to somebody's house, your feet are all dirty. Somebody would wash your feet. That was, that was a part of that time. And because the, because the dust of the world gets on you. It's why you need a daily devotion time. Because the dust and dirt of the world gets on us. And the the Apostle Peter says we are sanctified by the washing of the word in our lives. And so we wash something. We cleanse it. That's definition number one. 
Definition number two is to make something holy. Now, it takes the same concept of washing and cleansing, but it moves it a step farther when you make it holy. I suspect that everybody here has a frying pan or a skillet. You probably wash it periodically. It probably sits on the stove days and days at a time without being washed, but that's no reflection on you. But just because you wash your skillet doesn't make it holy. A skillet, a frying pan, is a, it's an everyday kind of thing. If we're going to use this analogy in your house, you got your frying pan, you, you, you should wash it and cleanse it so you don't get tomaine poisoning or whatever you get from all that stuff there. But it's still an everyday thing. In your life, the thing that would be sanctified would be your grandmother's china. That's the stuff that you can never get out. In fact, I don't know why. We, everybody has China, and you, you know, men, we're perplexed about this lady. It's like, we can't, we say to you, hey, it's, people are coming over. Should we get out the China? Oh, no, that's for special occasions. And then it's Thanksgiving. Should we get out the China? No, that's for special occasions. Christmas, special occasions. We go through like years at a time. We've never had a special occasion at our house ever. You don't get it out because it's precious because it's holy. You don't treat it like the skillet. It's sanctified. That's the, that's the verbiage here of sanctification. So, yes, we wash and cleanse ourselves with the Word of God, but the other thing that happens is God does a sanctifying work in us where he moves us from a skillet existence to a china existence. Look at the very last phrase of what we read here in chapter 4. Look at verse 8. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives us his Holy Spirit. That's what God wants you to be. Here, let me just capitalize on this a little bit. Look in verse uh, 4. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness. Uh, verse 5, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. See that no one transgress or wrong his brother in this matter. The Lord is the avenger in all these things. We've already told you, verse 7, God has not called us to impurity but to holiness. Do you see it? It's repeated over and over and over again. God calls us to holiness. So as we walk each day, which direction are we walking? We're walking toward holiness. It's an intentional walk. You should be able to look at your life. It's hard to do from one day to the next, sometimes even one month to the next, but you should be able to look at your life from a year ago and go, I'm more like Jesus than I was a year ago. What does that mean? Well, holiness is a, is a walk of intentionality. It means that I'm going to stop some things and I'm going to start some things. If I'm going to walk toward holiness, then I turn my back towards wickedness. You don't walk towards holiness this way. That's, I wish I could moonwalk. That would look really cool right there, wouldn't it? No, you, you face the way you walk. You look the way you walk. You, you desire where you're walking toward, and you move to holiness. So definition number one, to wash, to cleanse. Definition number two, uh, to make holy. Definition number three, to set apart. We're called, sometimes this word, we're called, we're set apart. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. 
God uses us now for a different purpose. What does he use us for? For holiness. We are set apart. We are, we are in a sense, the children of God, the children of the king, and the children of the king, we eat at a different table. We eat with the king. We don't eat with the paupers. Have you ever, ever been somewhere and there's a door and it says, uh, authorized entrance only? Well, in God, you're authorized. You've been given authority. You've been set apart to do that. This is the authority of God. So this, these are all words that are sanctification. So in sanctification, we are washed and we're cleansed and we're holy and we're set apart. And so now we come back to the question, what's the will of God? Well, the will of God is that you are sanctified, that you are washing, being made holy, set apart, and you're moving in that direction. Well, one last one last question. It's the same question, just the fourth time. What is the will of God? One last answer, verse 8. We just read it. It says, Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God. So the last thing that I want you to see about finding the will of God is that when you disregard the will of God, you're not going to get the will of God. So what's the will of God? That you not disregard the will of God. So you might say, oh, well, that's really a, that's a cute play on words, Paul, to will of God is to not disregard the will of God. No, it's, think about it, it's really, really important. Because here's the thing about God. God's will isn't just reserved for the person who gets to the top of Mount Everest. God's will isn't just uh, a conundrum wrapped inside a riddle. God's will isn't something very difficult that very few Christians ever attain. It's God's desire that you know his heart, that you know his mind, that you know his love, that you know his purpose, that you have his blessing. He wants you to know his will. So how is it that so many Christians don't know his will? It's because God reveals himself and then we go, well, that, that's, not the, that's not the will that I wanted. I wanted the will that kind of came in million-dollar increments. That's the will that I wanted. So what happens for many of us is we ask God, what's your will? God reveals it, and then we go, what? not the one I want. So what do we do? Like spiritual spoiled brats, we don't take that will. But we're still praying for God to tell us, his will about tomorrow. What makes you think God's going to tell you his will for tomorrow when you refused his will today? So the Apostle Paul says, if you disregard the will of God, you're not going to know the will of God as it comes to you for tomorrow and the next day. And look at what he says. The one who disregards this doesn't disregard man, disregards God. Sometimes I think you might hear me preach. You might go, wow, that's Paul's opinion. I try really hard. I, I mean, I try to tell you when it's my opinion. But most of the time, I try really hard just to explain the Scriptures to you. Because n- nobody needs my opinions. But what you do need is the voice of God and the will of God and the instruction of God and the direction of God. 
And God wants you to have that. But so many of us have just decided, well, that, that, that's not what I wanted. I, I want God to speak to me here. What makes you think that when God speaks to you here, you're going to receive it any more than when he spoke to you today? So here's what happens in our lives. Let me give it a final application. We're out of time. So you want to know God's will for buying the house, uh, taking the job promotion, moving, something specific in your life. How do you know that thing? Because you walk to please God today, you receive the instruction of God's word, you choose to move it towards holiness and sanctification, and whatever God does reveal to you today, you receive that. And if you will do God's will for you today, he will show you his will tomorrow. I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. You don't have to raise your hands and let me know that you've got something in your life that's coming up, a decision you need to make. I I know everybody does. Everybody's got bills to pay. Everybody's got to figure out what you do with your money. Everybody's got to figure out what you do with your relationships. We've all kind of got the same set of things that we've got to determine. But each one of us have to make a discernment about God's will in our own lives. And so this morning we found this really plain passage that says, well, it's pretty easy. First of all, you choose to please God today. I, I don't know what the rest of this day holds for you, but I know that there's a way when you can, in which you can please God and a way in which you can just choose your own selfishness. The scripture says we choose to receive the instruction of God. I don't know what your week holds, but I I know you need God's word this week. I know you need to read it. I know God wants to speak to you through his word. How do we know the will of God? Well, because we're going to move towards holiness, away from selfishness to Christ-likeness. And how are we going to know the will of God? Because if he reveals it, we're not going to reject it today. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. How many of you would say, Paul, pray for me. This is what I want for my life. I want to walk every day with the Lord so that I can know the will of God. And you just say, pray for me. That's my commitment today. All over the room, hands all over the room. Father, you've seen our hands. You know our hearts. You know everything about us. Father, we pray for the ones here who haven't yet given their lives to you. We know that it's not your will that any perish but all come to salvation. You've said that plainly in your word. And that's the first step of knowing the will of God is salvation. And we pray that today no one would leave without giving their lives to Christ. But for so many of these here today, Father, I pray that as they get ready to make decisions in their lives, that they would choose to hear your voice and be faithful today with maybe something that's easy. And if we take the steps that are easy, you will reveal to us the decisions that we think are hard. Nothing's too hard for you, God. Your arm isn't short. You're not too busy with world affairs. You love and care for each one of us. And we ask you to reveal your will to us. For we pray it all in the most holy and precious name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen. Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 23, listen to this in regards to what we just read. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. What did we just read? What is God's will for you? Your sanctification. But what do we read here just one chapter later? 
May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Have a great day. God bless you. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.